0: Hello, this is Corey Widmer, pastor at Third Church Richmond, and this is Audio Appendix. Audio Appendix is an occasional extra podcast that we do at Third when there is a topic that arises, especially from a Sunday sermon or a Sunday topic that we want to go into deeper or more thoroughly, that we just don't have the time to cover when we gather for Sunday worship. Recently in... The month of January, we've been in a sermon series called Beginnings on Genesis 1 and 2. And inevitably, when you teach and preach on Genesis 1 and 2, questions come up about science and faith and origins of the world and origins of creation and what we as followers of Jesus are to think about these things. And so wanted to dedicate an episode of Audio Appendix to explore some of those themes that so many of us have questions about. Um, And to do that, I wanted to invite a friend of mine, uh, Mark Sprinkle, who's also a Covenant partner here at Third, Mm -hmm. who has spent a whole lot of time uh, thinking and exploring and learning about this issue of the dialogue between faith and science, and has a lot of personal experience uh, to convey to us. So um, I'm excited to introduce you to Mark. Hey, Mark, say hello. Uh, Hi, Corey. Hi, everybody. And we're excited about exploring this issue with you today. So, Mark, maybe first you could just tell us a little bit about your own story sure. and what got you interested in this and why it's important to you. Yeah.
1: Um, well, it's, it's interesting. I grew up in the church, and um, my like the most powerful experiences meeting God were both kind of in in worship, singing in the choir with my parents, so kind of by means of music and worship and hearing the scriptures read, but then also outside. I grew up just spending a lot of time, uh, you know, out in nature, being kind of a naturalist and, you know, hunting and fishing and camping. Um, And so, and my family was kind of both uh, well, they're very, very artsy and very sciencey. So we had you know, science magazines coming in, and I would read those, and National Geographic, and all that. So to me, the the whole relationship between God and His creation was always really close. I sort of experienced them as one one thing. Um, but you know, like by high school, so I grew up in North Texas, north of Dallas, and the Christian community there. Uh, I had lots of friends who would, you know, we'd start talking about. You know, I would start talking about something in science or something I'd read about you know evolution or or plate tectonics and the way the, the geology was you know being kind of interpreted and uh, there was a lot of pushback because they grew up in church um, environments where you know it was uh, assumed that uh, Genesis had to be read in a in a materialist kind of literalist way and so evolution all those kind of things science was really kind of the enemy of faith um, so that's not how I grew up and so I that, that just seems sort of a little strange and alien to me, but and I knew there was conflict, but didn't experience it personally. Um, really, you know, off and on later, you know, as I went to school and and grad school and all that, it really wasn't a focus. But then um, a few years ago, when we had kids and we um, decided to homeschool, uh, again we come into a really different kind of uh, Christian community, generally more conservative, both kind of politically and uh, uh, you know interpretations of, of scripture and. The fact that this was a real, you know, conflict, an area of real tension between the church and the culture Mm. was really pretty inescapable. Um, So that kind of got me thinking about it again. Um, So, you know, that's kind of the personal Mm. side family-wise. And then, you know, this is in the, I guess the, gosh, when is it? (laughs) A few years ago. Uh, What, like 15, 20 years ago? 15. Um, And not quite that long, about 10 years ago, um, a man named Francis Collins who was the director of the Human Genome Project, mm-hmm. right? Make the first map of human DNA, and then became the director of the National Institute of and Health. Who converted yeah. to Christianity, yeah.
0: After he was right, a- he was
1: a doctor and a, uh, he had a PhD and an MD, um, and was had been an atheist. He he was actually raised as a homeschooler in the Shenandoah Valley, um, but anyway, he was an atheist, but then came to faith and uh, evangelical faith. And really, then he wrote this book about how, how he held together these two kind of professional and personal lives that a lot of people at that time would say mm. were incompatible. So um, that kind of changed the public, like, you know, the, some of the discourse and, and the, how people were talking about this in mm. and, and culture. And that was also kind of my reconnection to it because by that time, that was something that I was really interested in. And I got a chance to meet him and talk about some ideas for how to help the church and the culture talk more productively hmm. about it rather than just kind of yelling at each other. Hmm. Um, and so got involved with uh, his the foundation that he started, BioLogos Foundation, hmm. and worked with and for them for about four years.
0: Just so. so interesting, your story, because what I hear you saying is that as a child growing up in your family, you didn't see any conflict. Right. You, you read National Geographic and you read the Bible. You... Yeah. Explored the beauty of outdoors, but you also sang uh, praise to to the yeah. Lord within the, your spiritual community. And it was really only as you entered into the main, more mainstream church that you saw this conflict arise. Yeah, in yeah. Your or, own,
1: or really when I entered more the evangelical the world. The more evangelical yeah. world, Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's interesting, too. I mean, I think part of my life, I mean, a lot of people know me primarily as an artist and a writer, and, and that, to me, was probably the thing that held them together mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, I approach both <laughs> nature, uh, you know, mostly by drawing and taking pictures of it and all that, and too. And I love the narrative of the Bible and the story and the poetry. So, to me, kind of that artistic, the, the, uh, the metaphors and the similes and the, the poetry of both Scripture and creation – were the things that sort of united uh, kind of the science and the faith piece. And and that's probably what I carried forward and, uh, in, in, into my work later and, right. and trying to help other people think differently about it. Well, why do you
0: think there is such a conflict for so many Christians between faith and science?
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting because on, on one hand, this is a really old um, – dilemma. I, I, I hesitate to use the word conflict because there's this whole thing called, you know, the conflict model of the relationship between faith and science. And, and here we should say, too, when we're talking about faith, I'm talking about Christian faith, right? right. Uh, so, but between Christianity and modern science, there's this idea that they've been at war. Uh, but on, on one hand, there has always been some tension between, really, the scriptures and how you understand uh, especially in Genesis, but other things too. How you read the text rightly, what is it trying to say? Um, on one hand, and on the other, the way that we and people who are not believers look at and see and study the world, right? So all the way back, um, Augustine, um, you know, around four hundred, has this. He's got this whole book on the literal interpretation of Genesis, um, two volume in the version I have, and he he talks about the the real, trouble when people who are believers, who are Christians, um, meet someone who's really studied the world, right? And he talks about eclipses and stars and, and, you know, distances and sizes of the planet and shrubs and everything else. So people who studied the world, when they meet Christians who tell them something that they know from rational and observational study isn't true, and then argue that from the scriptures, it makes it, it well, it's, it's actually that the Christianity is held up to scorn. So
0: there's this... You're saying Augustine was even noting this. As yeah, early so as Augustine was century. saying, yeah. look,
1: you shouldn't argue about the things of the world that other people have studied and make uninformed arguments based on your reading, probably flawed, actually, he's saying, of the scriptures, because it, it, it causes trouble, right? Then how will they believe you about the really important things of faith, like the kingdom of God and the resurrection and, you know, all those, you know, the divinity of Jesus. Um, So this, that tension between maybe overly narrow readings of Scripture and the study of nature goes back a long time. Hmm. But um, it really took off, you know, in in the post-Enlightenment period, and, and you've got, you know, folks saying that, well, now science has disproved the Bible or you know, classically or famously, you've got uh, Thomas Jefferson, you know, cutting out the parts of the Bible he doesn't think are true, that sort of thing. Um, And so you have, but, you know, most of the conflict there, but still, even that, I mean, most of our modern science um, really has, um, well, it it owes a lot to Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and some Christian values and understandings about God, i.e. that he's um, dependable, that he makes a rational, orderly world. That there are such things as laws yeah, that govern the universe. Absolutely, and, yeah. that he's not just um, like a he's, – he's not like the ancient gods who were fickle and would do whatever they want, right? He, is, he has set his world in order and maintains it according to his purposes, but things that we can study, right? He's accessible mm. through the scriptures. We, we know, you know some of his characters, but we can see things about the world in him through nature. I mean, Calvin uh, called this, uh, and along other people too, but the two books theology, that there's the book of scripture, which is revelation directly to us about God's character. But nature is a second book. And two, um, it's really trying to tell us things about God. And the fall and our sin helps us; it, it, it makes it hard for us to see clearly, right? So then Paul says, "Hey, the, you know," or the Psalmist says, "The, you know, all the heavens declare the glory of the Lord." But we don't, we don't see that as well because of our sin. So special revelation, Scripture, is really kind of necessary, um, you know, as a as a compliment. But anyway, both of those are true. So, um,
0: so it sounds like the this this tension has always existed in many ways, but. Mm-hmm. Especially what's happened within the last 200 years, 300 years, but especially the last 100 years since some things that were especially um, explosive in the 20th century, like the Scopes trial, and has really opened up this this idea that there is this great Mm -hmm. unpassable divide between what were the fundamentalists on the one side who reacted against the idea that science had anything to say about the ordering of the world. Mm-hmm. And then and then radical scientists on the other yeah. side, like, who yeah, have famously become Dawkins, like yeah, popularist yeah. scientists mm-hmm. like Richard Dawkins and others, who okay. have turned evolution not into a scientific theory about how things came into being, but actually sort of as a philosophical dogmatic philosophy right. about the non-existence of God and the pure materialism of creation. And so yeah. it's almost become a a cartoonish it really sort of has. conflict yeah. between these two sides. Yeah, yeah,
1: and so much now so much that a lot of the actual finer grain detail has been lost to us. Yeah. Like, for instance, you mentioned, well, the fundamentalists were against evolution. Well, actually, the people who wrote the fundamentals, right, the original fundamentalists <laughs> here, and they were against kind of progressivism theologically, um, they actually, most of them um, were Believers in an old earth, and several of them said explicitly there was no inherent conflict between evolution and Christian faith. These are the actual fundamentalists, right? Not the movement that came after, but the people, right? So at the time that scopes, um, and actually at the beginning of the 20th century, most conservative, right? Theologically conservative Christians believed in an old Earth, and the question was just, all right, how do we interpret Scripture? You know, is it? It's there's this day-age idea, which is like one day is actually an indeterminate amount of time. You know, in in, uh, mm-hmm. in in physical time. So anyway, but we've kind of lost that and think that it's always been, okay, if you're a true Bible believing Christian, then you reject old earth, you reject evolution, and that's actually just not true. Um, So, but clearly there were people on the other side, right, who, and again, it's important to say they are using science for philosophical ends, right? There are people who reject Jesus um, for any number of different reasons, um, reject God, and then find in science and evolution a hammer, right, a bludgeon to beat Christians with or, or, or pound, you know, our faith. And they, it, it doesn't. their arguments don't flow out of the actual science, right? Science is a description of how God's world works. Right. It's not a philosophical system. Um, but people like Dawkins really conflate those, <laughs> those two things, um, you know, for more political and cultural reasons. Right. Means. So ironically, uh, the, the people on the extremes you
0: know, Dawkins or uh, Mm -hmm. Ken Ham on one side, the other, they're actually very similar. They're they're arguing, as you said earlier, they're playing in the same symphony, just with different instruments. uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, there's interesting, because
1: that's the key, is they, all of them philosophically, and we, this is a problem that we Christians have, we are more conformed to the post-Enlightenment materialist worldview than we think. Um, And this, again, speaking as an artist, we somehow think that a material description of, uh, you know, creation of whatever, of 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 a miracle, if we can link that to a material substance, we think that's more true than a narrative, than a story, than a poem, than an analogy, than a parable. Right. So Dawkins and Ken Ham on two kind of opposite degrees agree about a lot mm-hmm. because they are both at heart They're matured. both materialists. They are. Yeah. 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 That's um, so interesting. So and so that, we and but you know, we talk I, I laugh about it, Answers are Genesis, which is Ken Ham's organization. I'm like, our as Christians, our answers are not in Genesis. They're in the gospel. They're in Jesus, right? We start, we are not people, we are not Genesisites or something, right? We are Christians, which means we have to start with Jesus, who is the full revelation of of God to us, and how he approached the world. And, you know, Jesus told us everything that was most important about himself, about the kingdom of God, about who, you know, who God is, and who we are in his image through stories, which are not, like, materially true. I mean, was there... A father with two sons, one who's the prodigal and the other's the so-called good son. Was there an actual um, good Samaritan? You know, were those? Does that make them less true if it didn't happen? If there wasn't a reporter there? Um, so if if you if you start getting kind of feeling funny in your stomach when I say that, it's like you might be a closet materialist, right? You need to <laughs> accept that. Gosh, I've been conformed so that I think story is not as good, it's not as real as science or, Mm. you know, and then it just causes problems. Yeah. Well, that that's uh, leads to something
0: which I think is really important for us to bring up in all of this, and that is that one of the ways I think we um, can recover a greater integration between faith and science is by becoming better interpreters of the Bible. I think that's really a key to all of this. I remember um, two of my most significant mentors— in um, my own personal spiritual formation were Tim Keller Mm. here in the U.S. and John Stott Mm -hmm. in the U.K. And both of those men taught me that the most important thing when you go to interpret Scripture is to understand the original meaning of the author's intent Mm -hmm. Um, so that uh, when you come to a text like Genesis, if you're asking the question, what was the intent of this author? Was it to describe how the universe that came into being, Mm -hmm. or was it to describe who brought the universe into being and why the universe was brought into being? And those are very, very different questions. And so both Mm -hmm. of those men who were very... uh, Tim Keller, I know, has been involved in BioLogos, and John Stott had a huge uh, interest in the faith science dialogue and Mm -hmm. um, was uh, sort of an amateur ornithologist Mm -hmm. himself. Both of those men, I think, gave me a love and an appreciation of science, because they also saw, ta- taught me the right way to interpret the Bible, which yeah. is to see, be, work very, very carefully to understand the original intent of the author, to interpret it wisely, um, and that could be for us a pathway into seeing that there's not the kind of conflict between faith and science that has often, we've often been told. Right. Yeah. Um, that there is. So maybe you could. Do you have anything that you can share with us about yeah. how we can become wiser interpreters of Scripture?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you brought this up, um, I think maybe the first first sermon mm-hmm. of the series that, uh, you know, the, Gen- the book of Genesis that, that we have it now was really finally collated, put together, you know, after exile. This is when, right. um, you know, the Israelites are coming back, they're coming back from Babylon. They're, they're trying to figure out, who, who are we? we? We know that we've got this covenant with God. God has made the covenant with us. We are his people, and yet here's all this evidence of that we've been abandoned. How do we make sense of our story, and how do we recover it because so much had been lost, right? So that context really helps us like, understand the text and how it you know, has different parts and how we don't have to like smooth over those complexities. We can try to understand that moment we can say not, is this about a material, um, you know, account of stuff, or an account of material stuff, but is this their story that they are now telling against, over and against, the stories of creation from the Babylonian captivity? They're saying, mm. you know, and this, again, this goes to Jesus often, right? What What is his greatest phrase is, you know, you have heard it said, but I tell you, mm. right? This is what Genesis was doing for the Israelites. They were saying, you have heard it from, you know, all these... Surrounding uh, cultures that this is how creation started, but I tell you, right? God tells us so. Anyway, I think you know. Learning it was. It was, to... it
0: was not a. In other words, you're saying for for this per, for particular group of people who heard this first word, yeah, it it wasn't. They weren't sitting in a classroom trying to figure out how the universe came right. into existence. They were actually. Exiles who were desperately in need of a different story. Right. Different. Yeah. They were in need of, of, of a word of hope about their creator, mm-hmm. about the one who loved them, and about the one who was going to
1: redeem them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the purpose of the story, you right. know. And so and we need to apply that. And so much it's interesting because we know, you know, just like science, it like has been. Science like biology, especially geology, uh, paleontology has been like moving at this amazing clip because of modern technology, able to find stuff. Even our knowledge of the ancient cultures has, um, and and literature and everything else has exploded over the past. You know, certainly, 100 years, but even 50 years, as all these texts which have been locked away in libraries are digitized, as we have more capacity to do translation, all that. So we just know more about the context in which these stories were written and collected and first retold and retold than we ever have in languages. I mean, there's a, it's really, a, there's a, um, uh, professor of biblical studies in the Old Testament at Wheaton College named John Walton, who's written a bunch about how little we understand the the world um, when Genesis was kind of, you know, brought together and became the book that we have it now. Um, and one of the things he says often is that Genesis, and really most of the Old Testament, was, was written for us, but it was not written to us. So That's to a be... Great. Distinction. Yeah, to be true, we have to... to, True to the Scripture, we have to be true to the culture that received it first,
0: right? We have to attend to what were these hearers what situations yeah, they what, were in yeah we have to show what was what their, their context ears. we need to first try to understand what mm-hmm. they were hearing and experiencing right, before we right. apply it directly to ourselves yeah
1: I mean this is, this is an incarnational model of the yeah. scripture right Jesus came to us in our form so that we could you know he could join into our experience but we could understand him we could see God in new ways. Scripture as a as a gift of God in the same way as a kind of revelation is the same thing he, he it appeared God appeared through his scriptures. Um, in the specific place that, you know, the people were writing. So um, that's not, that doesn't make it less true. It actually is more of an act of grace on God's behalf to meet us where we were. So, but we have to meet our, our, the people who first received those texts, you know, on their terms too. Right. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: John Stott used to speak about the double authorship of mm. scripture and how as Christians we reject both the— Fundamentalist view of scripture that sees it as only the word of God, right? That has no human context. We also reject the liberal or progressive view that sees it only as the word of man, right? But we see, as evangelicals, we believe in the double authorship of scripture, which yep. means on the one hand, it has authority because it is God's word and it is unlike any other book, but on the other hand, because it is written by humans in particular stages and contexts of history, yeah. we read it as we read every other book, with great attention to the original context and intent of the author. So to really exalt the Word of God and give it the authority it deserves, we attend to both. We listen to the original context, Mm -hmm. we pay attention to what the original hearers would have heard and the way that they would have heard it and why they needed to hear it, and then we hear it for us today because it is a living, empowered, authoritative Word of God for us today.
1: Well, and we hear it in community, right? I mean, these books, we have this sense of modern authorship, too, where one person wrote this book right? But these are, um, <laughs> but books come out of out of communities, and so we have to right. listen to them as community, too, which is why, you know, one person, if we listen to just one interpreter and say, oh, well, they've totally got it right, we're, we're gonna be in, in a little bit of trouble, right? We would probably need to listen to a, a diversity of voices, mm-hmm. um, and not just individually, but checking it with our friends, with our pastors, with, you know, elders, and t- we need to make sure that we're hearing it as a community, because it's it is written to us individually for our salvation, but as you know, we've been talking so much about with this move toward community where the church is is a collective body right we are right. together god's um god's body right the, the body of christ so it's important that we're all in conversation about this and and this is like going back to kind of my work at biologos you know while they in um, generally, you know support and, and believe in evolutionary creation, the main work of this organization is to have a place where we can have gracious dialogue where people with different views can, can wrestle with these really complicated issues um, with charity toward each other. Right. And that's probably the, the key um, thing that we are lacking culturally right now, right. Is the ability to come from really different perspectives and wrestle in good faith. With each other, and you know, literally, good faith. Yeah, um, to try to understand what God has for us in Scripture and in the world. What an
0: amazing idea to debate with charity. Yeah, that's I don't know. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> truly it's radical, remarkable, radical <laughs> idea. Well, one last question for you, Mark. Yeah, I, I love how passionate you are about this. Why do you think this is so important to the gospel? Yeah, is this just a, a, a little debate that? Christians are having with each other, or mm-hmm. is this actually something that we should care about for the sake of the gospel?
1: Yeah, I, I think there are um, probably two kind of big categories of why this whole issue of, of thinking about, carefully about both science and scripture is really important. Um, one, yeah, is directly about the gospel and evangelism, um, both for our children. You know, I said I started back into kind of this this um, conversation, this, this topic when we were homeschooling, and we're in a, in a community where we, we kind of came at it from a different perspective, a lot of our, our friends and, and dear Christian brothers and sisters. Um, it, is, it is pretty common in, in theologically conservative churches for us to really say, well, evolution is not true, and we've got a, you know, we're sort of still in a culture war mentality. We want to equip people to refute science. And that ultimately is not, um, <laughs> it's not a really great thing for our students because when they get out, um, they discovered that there's really an amazing amount of evidence. It's really, uh, It can be a really beautiful way of seeing how God has created. So we don't do people a service if we make science a stumbling block for faith. Hmm. If we get out there and they are meeting people who are more articulate about the evidence, scientific evidence for an old earth and all those kind of things, we're, we're not helping them. You've probably actually seen... Young faith undermined. Absolutely. I mean, that's probably the the number one one of the. um, Yeah, I mean, it probably is the number one uh, reason a lot of young people leave their faith is because they've been told all their life. Yeah. Well, it's it's either this or that. It's either that or this. And then they get out there, and the evidence is really good. You know, and or and sometimes it's from like the classic really mean atheist you know professor who beats them down. A lot of times it's just friends who like, well, well, I'm studying biology or I'm doing. You know this, and they're like, well, gosh, they're really nice people, and they seem to believe this else. And but I was told that I can't believe both. So young people, um, their faith is, is imperiled by putting this this either or mm. thing. It's a stumbling block. It's a wall of hostility. The right. other thing is for for um, you know nonbelievers who would are are you know moving toward Jesus, and and they would like to become Christians but are told, again, that they can't be both, that they can't, you know, accept this thing. They have to give up everything that they have learned about science and the world in order to follow Jesus. So from a gospel perspective, the, the key is that being a Christian means following Jesus. And he is the stumbling block. His cross yeah, and resurrection yeah, is the that's stumbling the block. Don't, we don't shouldn't we create others. further stumbling blocks. Yeah. So it's like following Jesus is about following Jesus. It's not about believing this or that about the age of the earth or evolution or common descent. Um, So the other piece, though, really is about our work in the world, our being salt and light and a faithful presence in our culture. Um, You know, all the same science that has shed amazing new light on the history of of life on earth and and all that. Um, It's also the same science that in genetics is allowing us, for the first time us, right, human beings, This week to have cloned monkeys, right? Primates, closest. Scary. Yeah, you know we're talking. We can now, in the past two three years, are able to um, precisely edit the human genome. So this has amazing possibilities for healing disease, but it is amazing possibilities for doing designer genetics, right? Picking eugenics. We are at this amazing point of uh, people talking about being post human, that we can design ourselves to be whatever we want. These are profound ethical questions. These are big things about what does it mean to be a human being? Is it just material? Um, and oh, I, obviously, as believers, we think the Bible has something to say about this. We But think unfortunately, Jesus, we don't yeah, have any presence right, in the world right, of science, so can right. have nothing so to say if, about it. If we want to have a seat at the table uh, on these big issues of bioethics and life, uh, beginning and end, we, we can't just say, oh, by the way, we don't believe any of the science that all this stuff is based on. but We just can't. Um, so if we want to, to be the voice of, of uh, God in our culture, we have to deal with the... the you know, we have to be able to, to converse intelligently right. about these things. Right. Um, so it's really important for our witness to be out there. So we need to welcome scientists into our communities. We need them, and, we and need to, they need them. And not just welcome them in, but yeah. even raise up yeah, new scientists. Absolutely. I mean, we need uh, our that followers of yeah. Jesus we don't need can to engage tell, and be salt and light. Right. We don't need to tell our young people, it's okay to be a doctor, but don't be a genetic biologist. Don't be uh, evolutionary biologist, don't be an ecologist. We need to have them there. We need to equip and support our students as they go into those fields. It's really important if we're gonna have a witness in these just most critical issues of our times. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, my friend. It's been so good to talk to you about these things. And I'm sure if you are interested in talking more Mark yeah. Sprinkle would love to talk to you more
1: further. Yeah, I mean out. we we need to be better educated as a church about this stuff. I mean, both kind of how do we read the Bible, how do we understand it in its time, but also like, hey, there's so much that's happened in science. We we should be having these conversations in the church so that we are we are equipped to be salt and light. Right. So yeah, I'd love to do that.
0: So thanks for listening today. We're so grateful for your engagement here with us at Third. Hope to see you soon and stay tuned for our next episode of Audio Appendix.